On GDC Podcast Episode 11, we have David Gardner, a 30-plus-year game industry professional who now runs venture capital firm London Venture Partners. He'll tell us how you can secure funding for your game project and what to look for in an investor. He also knows how to fly planes. We'll be back in a sec. And we're back. Hello. Um, hello. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. Full of energy today. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. I'm Chris Graft, uh, editor-in-chief of Gama Sutra. Uh, I'm Alyssa Macklin, and news editor, associate publisher, also at Gama Sutra. Yes, and we're here um, in the um, weeks leading up to the first time we're doing like a real full-blown all digital GDC yeah. with all the bells and whistles that you would expect. <laughs> Less than three weeks. It's not, not terrifying at all. We're doing great. Um, yeah. I think it's coming together nicely. It's, um, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff. I think we should just, uh, <laughs> I think we should just go over some of the things that are happening because I am super excited about it, but like it feels the same as when we're about to launch GDC. Like, uh, like the like a regular physical GDC. It's uh, I'm very excited for it to start and to do the things and be involved with it. And I am almost just as excited for when it's all over. <laughs> That's just <laughs> part of the creation process. It, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, as we birth this show. <laughs> Uh, so there are some things uh, we can go over GDC. I think that we should talk real quick about the uh, GDC State of the Industry Work From Home Edition. So the idea behind that was uh, we're in um, how do you how are we supposed to say unprecedented extraordinary times right now? Yeah, um, which you know. They're not, yeah, they're not extraordinary anymore. It's just like 2020. <laughs> it's just normal now. But everybody is working from home, you know, uh, due to the pandemic that's going on. So we wanted to uh, take a survey of how game developers are coping with it and how their businesses are faring. So if you go to gdconf.com right now on the front page under the news section, you can see that um, and you can download it for free. It's a nice fancy PDF uh, file. Some of the findings include uh, one third of, uh, of people surveyed said that they had to delay a game due to the pandemic. Um, 70% of game makers said they had to switch to working from home uh, as opposed to working in an office. And uh, about uh, one in four developers say their household income has fallen due to the pandemic. Uh, it's not exactly something that I'd recommend reading as a pick-me-up. Um, <laughs> but it's you know, useful information. It's Yeah, it's, it's very useful information. And in all seriousness, it does... I think make you feel not as uh, as alone and isolated. Uh, just reading it even made me feel like, you know, oh, there are other 
people who are going through this, they're making adjustments like working from home, uh, having childcare be at home. Uh, people's uh, lives are being, you know, shifted around. Uh, and we also have a lot of commentary, like literal answers, uh, having to do with uh, feelings on productivity and creativity ever since lockdown started happening. And uh, it's, it's really good, useful information. And again, it, it makes you realize that you're not going through this all alone. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of your colleagues are um, going through the same thing. So if anything, there is some, some solidarity there. So I encourage you to check it out on gdconf.com. And as far as uh, GDC Summer goes, there are a few things. There's one of them that I want to just bring up real quick. Uh, so we're doing a series of AMAs. You know, actually, it's not asking me anything. It's like you, you're not going to ask uh, a producer on video games, you know. Ask me anything about my game development discipline. What's the acronym yeah. for that? Yeah, yeah exactly. We'll workshop it. Yeah, ask me about that. <laughs> so AMAT. Uh, ask me about that. No. Uh, so we're doing a series of those. Um, one of them is actually going to be with our uh, guest, David Gardner, today. So you'll be able to sign up and via the platform that we're using for GDC Summer, ask him directly any questions that you might have about investment and funding and things like that. Although you're going to get a lot of information on this podcast as well. Uh, but there's also, um, we're going to have Rod Ferguson. Uh, he is a veteran producer and he's going to be answering questions during one of these, uh, ask me anything's, uh, and it's going to be all about production. This guy is, um, he's, he known for working on gears of war, uh, series, Bioshock infinite. Um, and he's working on freaking Diablo four. Uh, right now. That's so, the full name of the game right there. <laughs> freaking Diablo 4. <laughs> yeah, from Freaking Blizzard. And uh, he's known as a person who comes in and just, you know, gets, his, gets everyone on the same page and helps everyone bring a game to the finish line and stay organized. You know, things that producers do. So that's a good one. Um, go ahead and go to the session viewer on gdconf.com and you can check out what else we've got going on. We have so many things that we're doing, not just sessions that you sit and watch. We're going to have a ton of those. We're going to have several channels of those, um, but also uh, opportunities to interact with other uh, people uh, with special guests as well via the AMA series we're doing and roundtables, uh, stuff like that. So it's not just going to be purely sitting your, uh, you know, sitting your gym shorts at home and uh, and watch people present uh, PowerPoint slides. We're going to have that. It's going to be, <laughs> but it's also be sit in your gym shorts at home and uh, and talk to people. <laughs> Then part of my uh, big like yes online conferences is I don't have to like put as much effort into like getting ready in the morning and then uh, we're going to be moderating some of these AMA sessions so I think we're going to be on camera for those yeah, so my entire be... morning routine has just been uplifted yeah I know seriously it's like I'm going to have to yeah I'm going to have to be presentable I'm going to be on video dust off the nice t-shirts that have been yeah. in the back of the drawer since we've all been at home <laughs> the uh, oh we're also going to be doing live episodes of this oh yeah. Yeah, so we should mention that. Uh, one per day, right? Yeah, we're doing one per day 
one hour and we're going to be having uh three different special guests who i'm very excited for and also the gamma sutra crew the rest uh the rest of us um are going to be on there which is only like two other people but we'll be on there uh, Small just, but mighty. yeah just uh just talking you know just <laughs> shooting it so. More of this great conversation that <laughs> we fill the time with here. Yeah, yeah. The YouTube uh, commenters are going to be getting mad here pretty soon. Oh, so, well, yeah, why, why don't you... Uh, <laughs> I just like to antagonize them. I know. I was going to make a joke about YouTube commenters, but I think I'm going to instead talk about the musical acts that will be going on during GDC Summer. Um, great segue. One of the interesting things about the whole online conference format is a lot of the um, events that have been like planned for it aren't inherently just like serious talks about game development they're still trying to like emulate that wind down element that social element you get at like a regular gdc Mm -hmm. uh part of that is the musical performances during gdc summer uh you can find out more about this on gdconf.com uh but some of the highlights are insane in the rain music is joining along with 88 bit and mega ran so i don't keep up with a lot of music but i know some of those names so they have to be great yeah um the like finding 88 bit was kind of funny because uh, me and one of our colleagues, Alex Waro, who actually showed up for one of these podcasts, uh, we were at a different, con- a non-game conference together, and uh, the hotel bar had this guy covering uh, like 90s radio rock like Weezer and stuff just on like uh on a synthesizer and he was he was there and then he took a break saw us at the bar and then just asked what's up gave us his business card after we found out like where we work and then uh yeah apparently he's this this amazing like video game typically video game focused musician who who is going to be like covering famous video game songs uh live so that's that is your trivia from <laughs> fun me. fact and the the rest is history is that like the yes yeah, and yeah. the rest is well yeah it's the it's history soon <laughs> soon to be history yes it's almost an anime opening theme but <laughs> okay Alyssa, let's get on to our next guest now here's here's the rundown he's been in the game industry for over 30 years that's that's veteran level i think that's uh veteran expert level it's like bonus veteran like veteran after 10 right in the games industry (laughs) yeah um the 25 of those years were at electronic arts ever heard of it where he built the publisher's european business from zero dollars he was also ceo of atari he was awarded the order of the british empire in 2007 i don't think i'll ever get that but keep the dream alive He currently is co-founder and general partner of London Venture Partners, who were actually early investors in Supercell, Unity, and other big names that you might have heard of. And if that's not enough, he's also a pilot. Let's welcome David Gardner. Hey, David. Hey, thanks so much. That was a... That was an amazing intro. I'm, I'm, I'm frightened to speak now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We like to really intimidate our guests right before they come on. We mm-hmm. like to remind them of their many accomplishments. Um, you sound humble now, though, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we were supposed to actually have a fireside chat at GDC 2020, but you know we all know what happened there. That was un- unfortunate. But 
I'm glad that we got to get together now. Yeah, you know, I'm getting used to I'm, I'm getting used to this. I'm I kind of like it, and um, yeah, nobody knows what I'm wearing, and uh, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't have to suffer the jet lag, so it's it's got some pluses. So this is why you didn't want to zoom this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, let's start with the basics. You know, it's just uh, because not everybody you know who's listening knows so much about how funding and investment works uh, in general. So can you tell us about London Venture Partners, um, which I'll from here forth be calling LVP so I don't get tongue tied. Yep, that's what we do too. <laughs> and uh, what it is that you do there and uh, you know what, what your team does there. Sounds great. So we created LVP because we noticed that there was a major gap in the market. Venture capital occasionally invested in games companies, but not very systematically. And Venture then had a complaint about games. They said, oh, it's, it hits a driven business. Uh, and we said, yes, that's right, but that's exactly what Venture is. You're just used to making 10 investments and one of them taking off. And similarly, in, in the games industry, uh, as many developers will know, they might have to work on dozens of ideas before they get to the one that really does well. Uh, so we take that approach. We, we build a portfolio of investments all in the game sector. And that's how we de-risk investing in the space. But we also like to think that we are uh, game developer friendly because we've all come really actually out of the games industry. Myself, Ari, Matt Groen, and David Lauke, the three partners, have all had long uh, tenured careers in, in the games business, building technology or studios uh, and distribution businesses. So we like to think we're, we're more games people than we are um, kind of finance people. Yeah. So can you go into more what the differences are between, uh, you know, non-game industry investment uh, and VC versus uh, the game industry? Well, I think the what historically what we've seen is that the games um, industry is amazing about product, but is not always thinking about the financing, the cash flow, the, the way that the kind of uh, kind of startup world uh, has gotten itself organized. And that sometimes makes for difficult conversations because the the, the VC is expecting uh, a certain level of, of kind of startup experience. And they, as I said earlier, some of them are afraid of games. They might have one, one partner in the firm that likes games and uh, for whatever reason and has made some uh, you know, arguments to make an investment. But if those don't pay out, then the firm becomes a bit shy and they, they tend to, to take a backseat to the industry. Whereas we, and, and therefore they, they, they invest much later. So they want to see the game. They want to see, actually, they want to see customers playing the game. And even better if you're already kind of generating revenue and making money. So it's like, well, anyone who can read basic KPIs and, and metrics from, from that can already make a, a financing decision. So I'm not sure that's super helpful. So we focus on the very early stage. We are very happy to meet a team that hasn't, you know, even created their concept art yet. Uh, we, all of our career, you know, you get used to seeing game pitches in various states of polish and just speaking with someone to say, you know, they have a great insight. Uh, they understand the process. They understand what they want to build, how they're going to get there. Uh, so we want to work with them to help put that that together. And then we will teach them and, and share our insights in the financing process. Um, because you know, I have to admit, it, it rarely is one 
uh, one VC or one source of capital that is enough to get to market these days. So it is a, it is a team effort. Um, yeah. And so the, the, the industry has to work collectively. It, it seems uh, exceptionally risky, um, the way that you're describing it, uh, to invest in game companies, because it, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that you're basically saying a lot of these uh, game companies, they don't, they're not as astute or familiar with finance and, you know, some of the more complex parts of being a startup versus maybe other companies in Silicon Valley, yet you're still going in there and saying, yeah, and, and saying here, uh, you know, here's some money and some guidance. But I think that the reason is they have a more difficult and valuable skill, which is to build something that's so engaging that you build a relationship with a player and the player stays in, in that universe often for uh, you know, it could be a decade. Uh, if you look at the value, the, the value of intellectual property and in the, uh, then this is something, there's always this long running debate. Oh, well, you know, games are bigger than film. Games are bigger than mm -hmm. television. You know, and I, I always remember us sort of making that debate at Electronic Arts, trying to prove to investors that, you know, that this is a worthy media investment. But it, it is massively true. If you think about League of Legends, if you think about Fortnite, the, these multi-billion dollar franchises are incredible because you as a player don't have to just spend one cinema ticket or buy the lunchbox or, you know, the plush toy. You can spend thousands and some people have literally spent millions on their favorite franchises because now the game economy lets you do that. I jokingly say we've moved from communism where everyone paid the same thing and got the same thing to capitalism where now Actually, a lot of players pay nothing, but the the high spenders are paying the economy for everybody else. And I think that um, that is why a game can knock it out of the park financially and become worth billions. If you look at the trajectory of Supercell, and that company went from one early game that didn't particularly succeed on Facebook Canvas to then pivoting to mobile and building first heyday and then clash of clans and they went to billions in literally in 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 positive cash flow in three yeah. and a few you know three years and a few months so i don't know of any I, I remember the partner at excel saying in the history of investing no investment they've ever made grew that fast yeah so that's why it's worth the risk because the payout can be massive um Plus, you know, it's a wonderful industry. So, you know, we love it and, and that's why we're in it. So what are you looking for when you're scouting for these investment opportunities? You know, what's the what's the sign of a startup uh, that is early on exhibiting a high growth opportunity? Well, there are a ton of startups. So I'd have to say there is a lot of noise. Um, you know, I think last year we looked at six or seven hundred different pitches and i think we figured we saw um you know like 15 percent of probably all the effort but you know i maybe of the sophisticated startups we may have seen more than half but if you look at the you know number of projects that are, are started it's just a fraction so there, it's very noisy it's very congested and of course you start to look for, I don't know if it's just the human brain, but you, you want to look for things that are slightly out of the ordinary. And then you want to see things that you feel um, are very 
professional. And so you might think, oh, the team, they're, they're very smart. They have unique insights or they are they have a history of of doing things well at other other businesses. Maybe they've had another start. Maybe they've worked at a, you know, a big name franchise or you get a you know someone who you respect and they kind of refer some talent to you. And all those ways are basically that that's all code for how do I stand out and and look different. And I think that's the first thing we're looking for is the team. Is the team amazing because we're only going to do eight investments in a year and we're going to see 700. So um, you know, and that was before the world became even more nervous about investing. So roughly 1% of what we see, we invest in. So that's pretty high threshold. And I think that the, the start always is the team because you never know if the game's going to make it or not, but you sure. know that the team's going to learn from whatever they do. And that learning is the critical process of improving the product, um, figuring out, you know, what the, what the community is all about how to serve that community, how to in integrate those learning loops, how to then pivot, how to then build, um, and then learn all those things we were talking about earlier about financing and all the kind of commercial things that you, you do need. Uh, and by the way, we're, you know, we're screening out um, projects that are lifestyle projects. We, we definitely are looking for teams that want to build a company, and that hmm. generally is more than one project. Sometimes, hey, you know, if you just had League of Legends or you just had Clash of Clans, I think you'd be pretty happy. But yeah. mostly... It's a uh, it's multiple titles. So you said that you you look at about six hundred to seven hundred um, you know opportunities. You say a year. That's right. Um, how how do you go about scouting? You know, uh, do people keep, typically come to you, or are you going out seeking them, uh, or what's the balance there? Most of the projects that have turned into successful investments and, and, and larger investments somehow have been referred uh, and mm -hmm. therefore come, are inbound and come to us. We're always looking. Uh, we, we, you know, we love to, that's why I love to go to GEC. That's why I love speaking on podcasts. That's why we attend um, other events. So you, you never know. Uh, and I think a lot of people do their homework in the background. They want to hear, okay, what does that person sound like? Do, you know, do I think I can get along with them? Are they trustworthy? All those things need to happen. And so there is always a need to be outbound. And I think that's also how you learn. I'm not sure if I'm going to find the next deal. I haven't really found that many deals on outbound, but I've certainly learned a lot more that way. What's something like devs can do to try to make themselves like more attractive to venture capital or like venture capital and investments and stuff like that? How can they grow those prospects you were talking about before? So I think I think they if if they if they want to learn a little bit about venture they, um, you know, they can do some reading and try to understand, first of all, is, is venture, is the capital that comes from the venture investing industry the kind of capital they want? Uh, you know, there is, of course, the, the joke about vulture capital and some of the kind of scary, scary sides of, of taking um, outsiders' money. And I think largely that um, is myth. But it does, there is one thing that I always try to make sure people are accepting of. The, our business model in the venture industry is to make an investment and then at some point to sell that investment. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be with you for part of the journey. Uh, but, you know, your journey is going to be far longer, hopefully. I mean, you're going to build franchises and you're going to have community and you may 
that may be yours for life. That may be what you do. So, but you have to understand that the investors need an exit. So majority of startups get exited to other games companies and you need to also think, okay, am I willing to be part of another games company? Even if you have, you know, some games companies have different approaches around protecting uh, the brands and, and the teams and some do more of an integrated approach after acquisition. So mm-hmm. all those things are things to consider. So if you really are trying to build um, something that, you know, you own and control completely and you don't want to ever have to think about the responsibility to other investors, then maybe don't take uh, venture money. Um, there's all kinds of different money out there. There's friends and family money. There's venture money. There's what we we call strategic money, but really that just means you know game other money from the games industry, which might look like publishing money. It might be a publishing contract, or it might be equity. Um, those all have different kinds of expectations, um, and working and thinking through that so that you have a basic feeling around the differences. And then I think you know you can. There are even some books that um, that you can buy and read to, uh, to to understand how the venture industry works for um, uh, yeah for the basic terms and and, and kind of how the behind the scenes process of how mm-hmm. how that works. I think that can be interesting. Can you talk a little bit about um, the difference you mentioned? You know the different kinds of funding. Um, it seems like what uh, you're investing in are um, game companies that have some kind of recurring revenue, so free to play or some kind of live service aspect. Is that something, uh, is that angle something that LVP is um, almost exclusively looking for? And can you also talk about, you know, what kind of projects are better for publisher funding or, you know, other types of funding? Sure. We, we talk about the games ecosystem. So we're interested in investing in anything that supports the games ecosystem. So content is probably half of our investments and then content falls into different, uh, eventually it's most likely to be multi-platform, but you know, there's, a, I guess, a general division of things that are kind of mobile first and then mm-hmm. PC console. Um, and we'll invest in, yeah, in, in that whole space. Um, we also, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we were early investors in Unity and, and the democratization of a, of, of a game engine and now the whole services around that was very important to us because we felt that would massively expand the market. And we've done other investments like that. We've got one that's in basically that's in London that's called Hadian that's working on a massive operating system for, uh, for the cloud so that you can seamlessly manage uh, a, a fully integrated network for all of your CPUs so you don't have to shard these massive simulations. Mm-hmm. So th- that that's a very different kind of investment than yeah a mobile game company. So we're we're very open minded. I think the filter that probably comes up um, for for us and for venture is will what's the cash requirement and for be, before you know the likely outcome. So if you if you think about Uber, which has raised huge amounts of money from the private investment community before it went public. Uh, For a relatively small amount of money, they could test their thesis. They could build the app. They could sign up some drivers in San Francisco. They could suddenly see, oh, this is a service that people want and will pay for. So 
venture needs a relatively light capital intensive um, project. So it's super hard to see venture investing in, say, a classic console AAA. If you, you know, I've met some AAA teams and they think they need $80 million for building the project. And we know many AAA product, uh, projects are far higher than $80 million. So that's even maybe a budget AAA. But that's too expensive for venture because the kinds of the sizes of the funds and the typical kind of checks that are being written are in the low millions. You, you might raise a few million when you start up and then you get, and, and again, you need to get to that, that proof point of, of consumer interest that, you've, that the team is humming and delivering at a great cadence. And then you can go and raise the next, the so-called series A, that the kind of maybe the first really big check and maybe that's 10 to 20 million. And that's kind of, you know, projects that are, I would, I would argue projects roughly up to about 20 million are achievable through a venture funding model. Once you get much beyond that, um, I think, you, you know, you're, you're a very different risk profile. Uh, of course, lifetime development costs may be far, far, far greater than 20, but you're already then, the game is available, customers are spending, you know, then it's very easy to raise because you have some sure. actual things to, to, to measure. Um, when you're in the other category, you know, you might need, you might need a publisher's balance sheet. Um, you, one of the, you know, Activision ZAs, the, the big, big companies, you might be forced to take 10 cent money straight away because they're the biggest, you know, games company generating the most revenue in the, in the whole planet. Um, and those are different, different approaches. Hmm. How long does it take to uh, to raise money? You know, what's the typical timetable um, that yeah. people might expect? That's a very, very good question. And some VCs will want it to be as long as possible because there is a joke, which is, you know, the 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 last the longer you can can stretch out the decision, the more information you have, and therefore, you know, the better better quality decision you make. But we think that's just that's agonizing and painful, and we we try to give pretty snappy decisions. Um, so, what's a typical process look like? So, the initial contact, however that's made, referral, or you know, as you get to know someone, and then you you are trying to basically get to know them because for both sides mm -hmm. of the investment, you have to journey together, and it's a lot more fun if people <laughs> kind of respect each other, like each other, and generally. Um, you know, feel good about each other and, and, the, and what's being built. Um, so you have to have a little bit of time of normalizing that and, and figuring things out. And no one expects things to be perfect or that you have every answer. But what I'm always trying to uncover is what's your process for figuring something out? Because that process gets used again and again and again and again. And I have to feel like you've got a great, great process and that you will learn. So testing that thesis, checking out references, just kind of getting excited, um, you know, that there's usually an initial contact with a VC firm. And then in our case, we are three partners and we have a simple system of majority vote makes a decision. So two of the three of us have to say yes. And uh, so if I'm excited about something, then I'll talk about it in one of our weekly team meetings and then people will start bringing on some things, other points of view. I may have not known, well, did you know someone's already doing that and it's already available or, you know, anything like that. So just generally more information and a learning process. But then if people say, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. I'd like to know more. Then 
then you have a start you start that series of meetings and we'll meet this person and then meet that person at the firm and then before you know it the the team have maybe spent four or five hours um, speaking with people and yeah. at that point I think we probably intuitively have a pretty good sense we'd like to make something work um, and but those meetings sometimes take a week or two to schedule each time and that might be three meetings so before you know it a month has gone by just to get that five hours done um, and then you think this is going to be a really interesting investment it fits various feelings we have about where the market's headed we like the team all those kinds of things then you start a diligence process you check out where they've worked you do believe it or not you have to like scan you know the police database to make sure they are not they're, you know they're not a felon um, you have to kind of do all that kind of stuff that they that they can be a director of a business um, how many opportunities do you have to turn down uh, because they failed a background <laughs> <laughs> well we've had some flags but we're t- usually it's uh, duplicate you know uh, mis- mistaken identity mm-hmm. uh, which okay. is well, that's good. which is good um, <laughs> and then you uh, then you build you know, you do that research may take another month. And so I'd say it's and then you start with a somewhere in there. You've probably issued a term sheet and you might issue the term sheet and do the kind of background diligence at the same time. So roughly a couple of months into the from the first meeting, you've got a term sheet in your hand. And that's when the excitement really starts happening, because a term sheet, even though it isn't binding, really, it's bad form to pull out unless you discover something ugly. Uh, but then you're negotiating the, the long-form contracts. This is if you're doing a, uh, there are other ways to do that. You can do a loan note and things that are a little quicker and a little simpler. But that's roughly a couple of months to getting to a yes. And then it's roughly another um, couple of months to get cash in the bank. So I always try to tell people, um, you know, you're gonna, that's, for, that's for a yes. So you're going to get a plenty of no's in that time, uh, time okay. frame as well. So I, I usually tell people, expect six months before I need, uh, you know, I want money to, I have money. Um, and that's, that. but it's, it's rarely, it's quicker and often at times much longer. Hopefully quicker than that dis- that, that description I just gave. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was great. Uh, be descriptive as possible. Uh, we have so much, uh, so many gigabytes we can fill. <laughs> right. So like, when you go through that whole process and like with any creative opportunity, there's risk and with games, there's risk and with investments, there's risk. How does that like, do you typically see more successes than failures uh, due to like your expertise and selectiveness or like what's the success rate for companies you work with? It's a, that's a that's that's a moving target. Um, and, and it's interesting. I would say, uh, well, first of all, the success rate is much, much, much smaller than the failure rate. And even ourselves, we have, we're on a journey. Though we're in our third fund, we've made 33 investments. The learning curve is remarkably slow for, for venture capitalists, I think. Because from my commercial job, when I was at EA, and you, back in the good old days, you know, you spoke of my 30 plus years, when you had to wait for uh, you know, DVDs to be pressed and ship them out to retail, and then you had to get very, very rough data about sell-through from uh, you know, Edgar and, and Gallup and uh, other sources, and you kind of had a guesstimate for how well something had sold through. That took months. Um, but that was, that was your kind of learning loop. You, you had sales targets and you knew, am I doing well or not, roughly once a month. 
Now I find out, am I doing well roughly every three to six years? Because I'll make an investment. That process that we spoke about takes a few months. We put money in and then you start to get a feeling, you know, they are good like we had hoped. They're hiring amazing people. Look at the initial art. That's wow. You know, the early play test. That's great. Okay, now I'm a year or two into it. Now they start to need to raise money. It's maybe, I mean, five years. Then I start to find out this company is really going to be valuable. Oh, that's nerve wracking. <laughs> so, wow. Every five years, I find out if that decision I made five years ago was right. So it's really slow uh, mm. learning process. So all that to say, um, I think we are still early learners about all of this, but you have to create new markers for success. So additional fundraising, hiring key people, um, yeah, kind of seeing a good cadence from the team. These are all markers that we look for for success. And then we have to put more money in before we really, really, really know uh, if, if it's going to be worth a lot of money later. Is that is that a longer timetable, five or six years, um, uh, in uh, you, you know, compared to other industries that you know that utilize VC? I, no, it's not. It's okay. I mean, the five or six years I think I'm I'm saying is is to go to a to unicorn status. You you'll okay. know. <laughs> sadly, like you know you know the bad thing. news much quicker. You'll yeah, supercell type thing. You'll know in. The first year, oops, oh, it's not, you know, that, whoops. <laughs> that was oh, going to be my next question. Like how many, like, uh, like the, the oops situations or on the other side of that, um, it's like, oh, I had, I could have, I could have invested in that one. And then five years later, it's like they're, yeah, they're huge. I mean, it, you know, I don't want to, I don't want it to sound random because, you know, mm -hmm. one investors, we have investors and they said to me, I just want to figure out. Are you the monkey throwing the darts to the monkeys that are throwing the darts, or are you actually, you know, do you know what you're doing? Um, and and I always love. I've never I always heard love that expression. <laughs> <laughs> so I I, I love um, you know I love that we I think VCs in particular have a great ability to look backwards and then come up with a you know a description of why why they were so smart. Um, but it is it is look it is a tough it is. Just like it's hard for the games teams to figure out what is what do they want to build, what has the magic, what captures the attention. Um, you know, there's a learning curve for us to learn about the investing process and, and everything else. So we do, you know, you do make mistakes, and even things that uh, I was going to say, uh, say one funny funny story. We, we are what looked like our worst investment in our first fund. We had decided. The team was never going to be able to raise any money, any further money. They they shipped their first game on mobile. It was cute, but it was during that process of everyone had a casual side-scrolling free-to-play, mm -hmm. uh, not make any money kind of game, and they were one of them. Uh, but their hearts and dreams were to build this incredibly complex PC game, and uh, we just you know thought, well, you can't do that in the beginning. You have to kind of build up your your muscles. And we probably misadvised them to kind of go do that mobile thing first. But anyways, we at the end decided they only had like two months left of cash. We put them down as zero on our balance sheet. Like this is a write-off. And then like just a few weeks before crashing and burning out of to non-existence, they got a check from a famous investor. And then they just sort of figured out what they wanted to be and how to explain that to people. And they just started raising money 
like crazy. And now they have raised um, over $30 million and are building that PC Dream product and they've done such an amazing job um, building their engineering team, building their fundraising capability. So, you know, we think we're calling that a write-off, but somehow yeah, just before the nick, just in the nick of time before death, you know, they pull a rabbit out of the hat. So well, that, that can happen too. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, we, we might have mis- misguided them. Um, I'm wondering how, how much sway do investors have in, you know, the creative and business decisions of the companies they invest in? Well, I think, you know, legally very little. Um, I think there are like 10 things we ask for uh, kind of formal approval over, and none of them are product. It's like, you know, the annual budget, plus or minus 10%, uh, the ability to issue dilutive shares, some technical things on the business front. But that, that's why at the beginning of the conversation I said, you, you know, you really want to make sure that you, you get along and you like each other because then you never really go into those. That's, that's a very ugly world when you're looking at, okay, what are my investor rights and, you know, what am I? Yeah. Because the, the, the entrepreneurs own the majority of the business. They are the, the, the main owners. Yes, we put the money in and that's why we ask for these, these special approval rights for these technical things because we have to protect our investors as well. But we don't want to be... Um, I mean, I've made investments where we thought the game was great and I realized, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not really the target audience anymore. And that is usually the core and the heart and the love and the passion of what that team is building. And the best thing you can do is ask questions and let them ponder those questions. A direct, you know, direct feedback is just not, I mean, you give them, you're not trying to play games, but, uh, but you know, they ultimately make their own decisions. That's, the, that's their job. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're often hungry and, uh, you know, they're hungry for what, what to do. And so, yes, you can misguide and, and with the best intentions. It wasn't a conflict situation in, the, in that thing that I described. We just sort of thought, you know, you needed to do that. And we actually had the, the, the false idea that, you know, maybe you'll make some money on this mobile game. And then you can use that money to, to not have to raise as much money. Yeah. Um, because we didn't think at that time they were very good at raising money. So they proved us wrong in two, in two, <laughs> two counts. Mm-hmm. Well, the game industry like moves really fast, it feels like. How does like investing, like long-term investments or even those situations where someone pulls it out of their hat at the last second, like how do you even work around that, I guess? It's just, it's such a fast evolving industry, it feels like. Um, some deals can happen very quickly. And, you know, for that kind of, there's nothing that focuses the mind better than you're going to be out of business. Um, I think what can be hard is staying fast. The, the a startup's greatest advantage is their speed. Mm-hmm. If you compare them against the dreadnought ships of, of, of the giant publishers and the giant you know, game studios, um, what you have to be is a nimble force. And sometimes people forget that. So I, I, I think um, I think your comment, Alyssa, is right. The industry is moving at a fast speed, but often the companies inside the industry are not, and I think that's what they have to keep track of. Hmm. All right. So I, I see in in your portfolio too that uh, you know, like I said earlier, there's a recurring uh, revenue aspect to a lot of them, whether it's subs or live games. Um, so I think it would be remiss of me if I don't like ask 
you know, there's controversy with um, some more predatory uh, mechanics of of uh, certain games. How do you take that into consideration when you're considering these, uh, you know, these opportunities? That, that that's a great question because basically, you know, I I think we just keep it simple and old fashioned. We want customers to be delighted to spend money on mm-hmm. the product. So if they feel abused or unhappy or uh, kind of forced into, you know, tortured into releasing cash, that that's mm-hmm. just not the fun spirit of the game gaming industry that we'd like to see. And I mean, the Supercell guys historically and, and now I think mm-hmm. are loved by their customers because you you feel like, you know, that was worth spending money on. And I and we loved that. And and actually they even taught us that because um, it's it's they're, they're just amazingly gracious about about that and they're super successful but I think the customers see that and I and we've noticed that as well like when we're looking at investments I, we've, I've had lots of discussions with entrepreneurs who you know if they don't have the passion for what they want to build and they're really just trying to build a money box to, to yeah. take money we just know that long term that's not going to work and it's just going to cause more problems than, than it's worth. Yeah. So what should people keep in mind uh, when they're when they're taking money from game companies or, or VC firms? Uh, we kind of touched on this in different ways, but to kind of to sum that up, um, you know, what what should what should people be thinking about when they're pursuing these uh, funding opportunities? I think be definitely be honest and try to project who you are as a leadership team and what you want to build. Uh, try to get to know the character of the investor to make sure it's it's a good match. Um, understand and scope out what you're trying to do in, in sizable blocks. So you do that anyways for the product, but also you have to start attaching and thinking about the capital resource to do that. And then you may have to innovate and think of new ways to 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 make it uh, viable for a VC investment. You, you may have to think of how you can get to customer proof points, which often means customer spending money, but it could be other engagement metrics. But think about those metrics when you put your plan together, so that you don't, um, yeah, that that the that the plan you present has some thoughtfulness to it and isn't just. Hey, I need you know eighty million to to build the next most amazing mm-hmm. thing you've ever seen, because sadly, as we were saying, statistically, it's not likely to to even work. And I always ask people, when this doesn't work, because by the way, statistically speaking, it's not going to. What are you going to do next? And that helps me discover, you know, their longer term thinking, what they're really made of. Can they can they suffer through the unfortunate stress and pain of, of creating a startup. Yeah. Um, those are some of the things that throw out. Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of starting to wrap up here, you mentioned earlier uh, some resources that people could look into about investments to get them more learned on the subject. Uh, do, uh, you know, if you have any specific recommendations there? There is a, um, there's a book that I like to give uh, to people to, to get people to to, uh, to download on Kindle, which is a book called Venture Deals. Uh, the the uh, author there are a couple of authors, but Brad Feld 
is, and Jason Mendelson uh, can you Google venture deals basically, and it should be the first hit that comes back. Um, or sorry, on Amazon, I, I don't know about it on Google, but um, that's a really good one. It gets into the weeds a little bit if 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 you're really just a games person trying to raise venture money, but it talks about everything and kind of explains what's behind the curtain of venture. So that that's a good a good uh, quick resource. Other other than of course googling and looking at blogs. I mean, of course, visit the LondonVP.com website and see the we put stuff up and and case studies of things that we've invested in. That can all be helpful too. And and there are other um, other VCs that are starting to to do more deals in the space. So just look around. Excellent. And uh, I brought it up earlier, but uh, you fly airplanes. I do. Wow, it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still flying airplanes? I read when I was um, internet stalking you for research, um, I, I read a blog from 2010 where you went transatlantic and had to make an emergency landing because of a faulty oil cap. Yes. Yeah, great. Well, that's good stalking. Um, that was a scary but an ultimately fun moment when you realize, wow, that was just a dumb uh, thing. But, you know, dumb things add up to, to bad news. Um, I have to sadly say I haven't flown in the last year, which uh, which means I'm not current on my ratings. Um, when we when we started LVP, I, I realized that any more cash flow negative activity other than my family meant that um, it was not going to be good because I had to invest everything in the in set, setting up the business with my partners. So I don't own a plane anymore and um, haven't haven't therefore had a chance to fly recently but um (laughs) it's it's such an amazing thing and i know there are a number of other pilots uh in in the games industry and have and have had a chance to meet them and that particular trip was a a ferry flight i was taking the plane back i was moving back from san francisco to london so i got to cross the atlantic it took about three and a half days and you have had to stop every every few hours to uh, refuel or you know go to bed or whatever so it was a great adventure yeah uh, very last question now. Very relevant to our <laughs> listeners, I'm sure. What's what's scarier, an emergency landing in an airplane in a small two engine airplane, or uh, seeking game investment? <laughs> no, um, ooh, you know, <laughs> probably over time, more stress has been caused by investing in games. But at the moment, at the at the intensity, definitely the intensity is. Is that scary, uh, you know, emergency when flying? So it's it's just a flattened curve. <laughs> it's very concentrated uh, with the airplane. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, David, it's so great catching up with you, and best Pleasure. of luck in uh, in all of your literal ventures. Thank you so much. Really great to catch up with you and Alyssa. Yeah. Thanks for joining. back that was uh that was fascinating we've never had a uh, uh learned finance guy come on oh, i was gonna say a pilot but maybe we, have, we, also we haven't, haven't had asked a... people if they're pilots when they come on the show you know what i bet that he's probably like the fifth pilot we've had on we just <laughs> have failed to answer secret um, game industry pilot club yeah and but what i do know is that this was this was a gdc podcast of firsts i think um this is the first time we had somebody on 
who was awarded the Order of the British Empire. <laughs> you didn't ask about that. I didn't. Um, didn't. Yeah, you didn't I, see if you, someone living in Texas, could qualify for the Order of British Empire Award. Yeah, I know. Our, uh, our British boss uh, informed us that that is not the same as being a knight. <laughs> so um, crushing dreams yeah i know it would have been nice because we could have called him sir david gardner it's got a ring it does have a ring yeah but but that's uh that's great so what what are your takeaways Alyssa? did you uh, um i i heard you scribbling away at, with with notes and things <laughs> as if a test is going to come up at the end of the podcast yeah i actually mute my mic because i just like I like to take notes during conversations because mm-hmm. I lose my train of thought so easily, uh, which is why I love the digital world. Yeah. Because uh, nobody can see me taking notes. Um, <laughs> and to mute my mic for all the page turns, and I don't want to interrupt because I'm yeah. just, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. A lot of it's just scribbled out, uh, like questions <laughs> that I wanted to ask that he just answered through good informative conversation. <laughs> so what was the most surprising part of, part of that for you? Um, early on, uh, mentioning how it's not really about seeing someone's game like a prototype they've put together and investing in a finished product or a product that has a clear vision already. Mm-hmm. It's more about investing in teams early on and investing in the people and before those ideas even start to take place and investing in like the idea of a company rather than a single, this will be a big hit project. Yeah. Like that's very different from I feel like what we hear about uh, with, I guess, more like publishing focused uh, investments and yeah. just talking to game developers who are trying to shop projects around. Like, that's a very different approach that I didn't really realize uh, venture funding kind of takes. Yeah, it turns out it's not totally like gambling. <laughs> not There's entirely. There's process <laughs> and thinking that goes into it. Yeah, no, I enjoyed uh, the question I wrote down um, was his, uh, what are you going to do when this fails? As like a moment to kind of like learn more about a team because mm-hmm. so many projects, even when they do have that concept put together, will never see the light of day and they will fail. Yeah. So knowing using that as like a metric to measure uh, the metal of the people you're working with and the business plans is just like, I think I feel like that's something that probably transcends just the investment business where it's a mm-hmm. good just life lesson to have. But that yeah. was something that really stuck with me. It's funny. When I was researching this, I, I went to LVP's website and I watched like a little uh, promotional clip that they did. And they had one of the, uh, the, there was a young guy that got an investment. And it's funny, they included this in their uh, clip, in their promotional clip. This uh, this guy looked like he's in his 20s, just like, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is awesome because, you know, obviously he, you know, he got funding from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that that should maybe, uh, you know, I, I, I think of that because maybe that should encourage people who um, have a little bit of this imposter syndrome thing, uh, you know, read up on it, you know, uh, uh, and look into opportunities for this, because I think that I just see some people, the only difference between some people who are getting funding, whether it's VC or uh, from publishers or elsewhere, is that one person asks and the other one doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's not that one is necessarily smarter than the other or knows what they're doing more than the other. Yeah. But um, they were, you know, they you know, they had a strategy and stuff, but, um, you know, being able to, you know, have the courage to even just ask or, you know, uh, or, or, uh, educating yourself and knowing who to ask, mm-hmm. 
uh, can, you know, apparently that goes a long way. Yeah, like they very clearly know what they're looking for, especially when you have people who have long histories in the game development industry mm-hmm. who know kind of like who have branched into investment and who know kind of like these small facets of qualities that they want to find that most people may not see in themselves or may not even know that's what people are looking for unless they reach out and ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so if you wanted something in the low millions, as uh, David said, uh, <laughs> do you have any pitches that are uh, uh, putting you on the spot? Uh, 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 so you take The Sims and you mix it with Hitman and <laughs> you throw some dice rolls in there. These are just all my interests. I'm just... I knew it. <laughs> I knew it would it's be like something that, like uh, that. It's like that, what is the movie, Anchorman, where he's like, uh, I love lamp and looking around the room. I'm just looking around my <laughs> desk at like the objects here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's actually not too bad. And I think that you just gave away a really good idea. Oh, can you cut um, this? Uh, I need to actually, yeah, I don't want anyone stealing my very good idea that I, as a person with no experience actually making games, could actualize. Uh, some, somebody, some ambitious kid is going to just turn that into something amazing. It meets the Sims. <laughs> good for meets, them, as long as I can play it. Yeah, with an Animal Crossing type, oh, time-based. Turnip market. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, on that note, everybody, <laughs> I am Chris Graft. And I'm Alyssa McLoon. I said that like it was a question. I yeah, am Chris Graft. Uh, up, for, up for debate next time on the GDC podcast. Just, find yeah. out if Chris Graft. Find out if it was me all time. <laughs> uh, so that's all for now. Uh, check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube. If you like what you heard, you know, yeah. leave, a, leave a nice review and follow or subscribe. You know? And until then... Or until next time, rather. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We don't have a sign-off written down, so... Oh, thanks and bye is what the official notes are. There we go. Thanks Thanks and and bye. bye.